Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports is here where we talk to experts in the field of sports, high school, college, pro. Today's is an expert on the Palouse. That's right. Eastern Washington, the Palouse, Washington State's voice of the Cougars, Matt Chazano. Matt, appreciate you joining. How is uh, how is life on the Palouse, but also living in Spokane, I guess you could say? Yeah, it's fantastic. Things are great. I'm just hoping all this craziness with COVID and everything that it is allows us to have full capacity and health and and fans and games back because the pack, as we all know, had only four football games last year. So that's what's on my mind. I'm, I'm thinking about practice. I'm thinking about and practice has been really good. You know, there haven't been like last year, we kind of knew I knew it was going to be really tough when very rarely were there practices at full attendance by players. And that's not the case this year. We're, we're rolling. So, uh, but shelving that I'm great. Everything's really good. I know a lot of uh, people on the Eastern side of the state, as well as I guess across the country who are Cougar fans, enjoy your coverage and your passion uh, for being the voice of the Cougars. Now I know as a young broadcaster who, is kind of coming up in the industry, you always want your big opportunity, your big break. Um, How exciting was it for you to become the voice of a power conference school? Oh man, it was, that was a great day. I was so excited. I was so excited. I was, I've been lucky. It's lucky and it's scary. And maybe you can identify with this and I don't mean to compare the two endeavors I'm about to say they're different. There are similarities, but they're different, but I don't know if you always wanted to be a pro ball player, you know, when whatever age that was, I think I wanted to do this forever. Like I used, I was that kid who would mute the TV and call games. And then I would create wild fictional scenarios while driving on vacation with my family. I had a little recorder and I'd interview my mom and dad. and, And but it didn't kick in until late college that I could maybe try to make a living doing it. I didn't even really realize it was like a job. Like some guys started doing broadcasts in high school. and I wasn't that kid. I didn't, I didn't do that. And I figured it out kind of later marrying the interest with the, with the work. But then I was all in, like there was no other option for me. I had no idea what I would have done. So with full commitment comes great risk because if you don't get it, you're kind of, I was kind of, I would have been a little bit lost, I think. And so when it, 
when it all came together and the, the Cougs said they needed a guy and they called me and uh, it was, it was wild. I was, I was on a run. I remember I was on like a jog and I actually broke down. Like I was like, so, so excited. It was, it was which I didn't expect, you know, it was kind of caught me. So uh, it was awesome. I love it. I feel both lucky and indebted, but also proud and, and uh, yeah, really, it's still exciting. Like I still love doing it. There's no, I've never, ever had, I don't feel like I work for a living, you know, and, and who can beat that? I just love it. Yeah. You, I can hear the passion in your voice as far as getting that first opportunity. You went to Syracuse, you graduated uh, from their broadcasting school, which if our listeners don't know, uh, it is the most prestigious or well-known broadcasting program across the country. Uh, the, the list of alumni in the world of broadcasting from Syracuse is endless. What was the competition like in the preparation and the, the classes like at Syracuse that allowed you to prepare and get a great opportunity like this at a pretty young age? I think the key word you said is competition. It was so competitive. It was just so ruthless and brutal. <laughs> I mean, the the thickness of the skin after leaving that program, I was like an alligator, you know, just, just doing everything. I mean, and they, I guess in the sports world, they call it culture, you know, and I think the culture of the place is not, it's not personal. So the work is personal. It's your voice or your face or your thoughts. Journalism can feel personal. Your name is on a byline if you're a writer or in this instance, like I'm the voice of the Cougs. It's my voice, but it's not personal. It's not. It's about the work. And so you learn to detach yourself from what is not insult and is a goal to improve your work and it accelerates that process and also weeds a lot of people out in a really productive way. I think it's good for people. I think this is uh, Ted Koppel said that journalism cannibalizes its youth more than any other business. And I think that's true. It, it's really hard. I mean, I made six grand my first year of broadcasting, like 12 total because I was doing substitute teaching and Starbucks and, um, I had five jobs my, my first year. So it's, it's hard. It's grindy. You make a grand a month and you're trying to get by. And, um, and I think if, it, if you're not good, like if you don't have a shot, you should know before you try to do that. Just, it's just easier. Just go do something else. So that's a good thing. But it, the competition was, was great. Made me better. And I had an amazing academic experience at Syracuse. I, I uh, objectively, without trying to uh, offend any of my buddies who are not in broadcast, to what Syracuse like, I don't bleed orange. Like, I don't even know what their schedule is. I don't. I'm not a Cuse fan. I'm really not. I wish them well. You know, I know the program. I know the facilities, and I have a lot of friends who uh, still work there, and they're great people, and it's a great place. But like, I've been, I've now been with the Cougs longer than I even went to school at Syracuse. I mean, this is my seventh football season. I've done even as a student, as a, as a broadcaster there, like as a student broadcaster at Syracuse, not really a fan anymore. I kind of never was like I, my freshman year, I was just a student. I wasn't in it yet. 
uh, actually played with Carmelo and McNamara and those guys in the, in the gym once, which is, which is super fun. And, uh, you know, I always, I always like really loved going to football games as I did it one year. And then after that I was doing journalism stuff. So I never really viewed it from like, you know, I'm going to paint my chest. And, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So a lot of times, you know, as an athlete coming up, you've got role models, guys that you look to as aspired to be like, um, and then for the broadcasting side, I'm the same way as I've transitioned into it, I've kind of grown my network, asked questions, gotten some advice from certain guys that I feel are very good at it, listen to certain guys, uh, for ways that I can improve my delivery on the college basketball TV side. How about you? Is there a, a broadcaster or two that you really, when you get a chance, you kind of sit back and either watch on TV or listen to on the radio and, and try to learn from? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There, there, there are, I, I actually, that's the only reason I listen now, you know, um, when I listen, the guys I like to listen to make me better. And they, they do it in a certain way. You can tell when you're listening. I bet you can too. You can tell when a guy's mailing it in. You can tell when a guy's prepared. You can tell when someone's working really hard. Like the most appropriately verbose broadcaster who just retired was Doc Emmerich. He was the hockey guy on uh, NBC and he did the Devils for a long time. And the way he, his command of the language and, and the way that he varied his verbs is, was incredible, but they were accurate. That, that's the other thing. So a lot of guys, so like when you first start out, you just want to try to keep up with the game and make sure you get the names right. And then you want to stair step it up so that you're inflecting appropriately. You're in, you're telling the stories. Like one of the things I used to do is I would, I'd have all this preparation and I just vomited out and like, five minutes like first thing like oh look what all this work I've done and then you, you you gain a sense of security whereas when you're doing it you have less to prove and more you just want to do the job right like a lot of guys get into like proving themselves especially when you're really young and to a large degree that's understandable but but then you get to a point where you're you've made some mistakes you have gotten fired and you're a little more comfortable in your skin and you start to to realize that you're sort of being if you're doing the job right you're being a good steward like I feel like I'm being a good steward to what really Bob Robertson built this this beast that he built and I'm trying to just do good by it and keep good going and if you're doing 70 down the highway and you love the kooks do you know what's going on are you informed are you entertained and one of the best ways to do that and keep people engaged is the work of this is to make sure that when you're succinct, you're as accurate as possible in the way you're describing it. And that's hard to do. And that takes a lot of focus and, and reps. And um, when guys don't do that, like if you go uh, dribble pass shot, like if those are the actual words you use, dribble pass shot, every play is the same. <laughs> that happens every play. There's no difference. You, you could you could start to try to get more and more specific, and that's a black hole. But it's it's the best journey in the business. That's that's what makes it interesting. So, you know, Calabro is probably the best basketball radio guy going. I mean, he's doing Blazers TV again now. But when he was doing the Sonics, I knew his work for years. I knew him from a lot of his ESPN national stuff, some of his Westwood stuff. 
and he's just he's next level. He's so he's talented, but he's the way he does that was is phenomenal. Um Wayne Larravee does the Packers. He's as good a football guy as there is right now. He's just awesome. And um and then there's some guys who do it differently. They do they don't actually want to do that quite as much, but they connect emotionally. Like Wes Durham, who does the Falcons, Wes connects with Falcons fans. He's a very emotional broadcaster. I think he would be flattered to hear that. I, I hope he would. <laughs> I'll, I'll text him. But I but he connects with people. You know, he's not quite as as specific. Pash is really good at that. He, he, Dave does both, I think, really, really well. But it's sort of a stylistic difference and it's intentional. Yeah, lots of broadcasters have different styles and the best ones can kind of mold and bring a couple different of the, the characteristics and traits together. And I've had a chance to work with Kevin Calabro, uh, both TV, Pac-12 Network, as well as Westwood One Radio for the NCAA tournament. And I would agree. I've worked with a lot of really good guys, but Calabro, he just paints things just a little bit different. And there was a couple times that, you know, I found myself sitting there um, knowing I needed to interject my analysis at a certain point, but also listening like he's doing such a good job. What can I add to it right now? Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to think about. So that means you're working like you're, so that's if, if you're an analyst, part of it is you, you want to make sure you aren't thinking too hard. Like it'd be like in golf, if you have too many swing thoughts, you're going to shank it. You know, you, you do need to be comfortable enough to react, but you need to remember you got a headset on and you're working. And I think that's a great sign. Like that's a great way to think about it. Whenever you're thinking about the broadcast, you're going, okay, he's working, he's doing this. And now how do I augment that? How do I make the broadcast better? And that's great. That's awesome. And I, I think, uh, I think Calabro is just, he's a really impressive, I have a, I have a, the highest regard for his work. I, he makes me better when I listen to him. You've also worked with a number of color analysts, both football and basketball. Um, one of the guys that you work currently with, with on the basketball side, um, most people don't know him as a Washington State Cougar. Most people know him as a Cleveland Cavalier who was guarding Michael Jordan during the shot. Yeah. What is it about Craig Elo that makes him uh, so personable and, and so fun to work with? Yeah, eggs is, eggs is, it's such a, that whole shot thing. You know, I, I grew up watching eggs as a hawk. Like I knew him as an Atlanta hawk and I knew him as a guy, as a kid, I was a Nick fan growing up. And I knew him as a guy of like, all right, you're going to play Blaylock, Kevin Willis, uh, Andrew Lang, John Concak, and then they have Elo off the bench. And I was like, well, that's a problem. He's really, cause he's really good. Like he's been in the league for 10 years. And it, it's, it's such a funny way to funnel down a 14 year career into one moment. I mean, the guy played a decade and a half in the NBA. He's made millions of dollars playing ball and everybody knows him for like three seconds, but and not to mention, by the way, he should have won the game, the play before. He yeah, won the game. Inbounds play. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I digress. He, he he loves the Kooks. Loves the Kooks. He feels indebted to the Kooks. He married a big Cougar baseball family, and I'm always, and I I bet you the Zags are the same way. I wouldn't know at the same level of intimacy, and I'll, I obviously would ask you, but. 
Ed, Craig feels like he would have never been to the NBA. He couldn't have been in playing in the pack. He couldn't have been playing big time college basketball because he was just a Jugo kid from Texas. He feels like he owes the Cougs. Like he's doing the broadcast. He doesn't need to do the broadcast. He's not, he's not, you know, hurting in any way. He's just, he loves being involved in the, in the game and he loves his alma mater. And I think that shines through, you know, above all. And he's, he's and we're the, when you're doing the broadcast for the school, you are the homer broadcast to whatever degree you want to play that up is, is a kind of stylistic or journalistic choice, but he doesn't care. <laughs> he's yeah. just Mr. Cougar and loves it. And I think above all that, that really shines through. Obviously I've seen his passion for, for Washington state as you touched on, but uh, the, the Cougar fan base is as passionate and loyal as I think you're going to find throughout college sports. They've had some ups, they've had some downs, but what is it about the Cougar alumni and the, and the Cougar faithful that don't jump ship? Because it's you, you see it at a lot of different colleges and professional sports teams. You get a couple down years or, or you get a coach that maybe they don't connect with, they jump ship. But that's not the case with Wazoo. Why is that? What a great question. I, I think it's something about – so like the worst of America, if I may, if we, we may try and be, have, make an effort of being profound. The worst of the country is when you go to a place, kind of like what I just mentioned with like shot pass dribble. Like if everything's the same, it's boring. The worst is like cookie cutter, um, like, a, like a, a cookie cutter place with chain restaurants that could be in any spot in America. And I don't nothing against chain restaurants, like, you know, Panera and whatever. Great. I go to Panera on the road all the time. But like when you go to a place and it's generic and it's the same as, as in Jackson, Mississippi, as it is in, um, you know, probably East Lansing, like every, everyone has that spot, right? Pullman's the opposite of that. It, it, there's nothing like it. Like it's a moonscape of wheat. It's a, it's a school planted in the middle of the, the, one of the most rich agricultural centers of the world. And I think with that somehow kind of breeds a certain identity. I also have gathered that as a student, it's a really phenomenal student experience. I think there's that too. I think kids love it. I think they go there and they just have a blast. They're, they're the focus of the whole town. They're, they're re it's really all about them. It's a, it's a bubble in the truest sense, like in bubble wrap, like kids are generally really safe and it's really fun and it's beautiful. And I can't, they love campus life. And so I think that there's this sort of affinity that, that grows as a student and you leave and it's really, you would never like stumble on Pullman. You don't, so you have to want to come back and you have to go out of your way to do it. So it kind of bakes in, like, if you're there, you want to be there. Like there, there are easier places to get to. And maybe there's something with that because there are there is more passion for Washington State than other big schools or, or other schools at all. Um, Washington State, I, I strongly believe like part of what makes Washington State great is its location. It also is a hurdle because it's not casual. And I think that the proximity of it to Seattle and Spokane and all these places does make it certainly the most difficult place to get to in the pack. But like if it was in you know, snow for me, just another random play. It'd be, they'd need to triple the size of the stadium. 
<laughs> you don't you have to have you have seventy thousand. It's not it's not like the Huskies have a monopoly on large fan bases football. Yeah. It's just located in Seattle. So speaking of stadiums, uh, obviously you've had a chance now to see all the stadiums in the Pac-12, as well as some other good ones across the country. What's your favorite uh, non Martin Stadium or Beasley Stadium atmosphere in the Pac-12? Um. The best basketball atmosphere in the packs in Tucson. And that's 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 a big boy college hoops atmosphere. The best college hoops atmosphere in America. Now let me let me back off. I have not been to the kennel. That's a true story. You live so, in Spokane, you still haven't been there? I know. I have I haven't been kind of been hoping the Cougs would go play there. <laughs> that's why I would go. Uh I haven't been to the kennel. So let, let me say I haven't been everywhere. I've been to a lot of the ACC. I've been to a bunch of the SEC, and I have not done a lot of the Big Ten and the Big Twelve. But I've, I've done obviously all the pack. There's nothing like Madison Square Garden that I've ever been to. That place is, and there's really it's right above Penn Station. And a little bit nostalgic for me. I went in high school. I used to go all the time. But it's awesome. It's always packed. You get a lot of casual, like, oh, 7 p.m. tip. Hey, hey, honey, uh, I'm going to take the 9.30 train. Let me catch the catch the game. Goes to overtime. People leave because they got to catch the train. <laughs> it's just a different culture, different atmosphere. Yeah. So, that, so there's that. But for college, Tucson in, in the pack is for, for basketball. They do it right. That, that's big time. That's every bit of Cameron Indoor, which I've been to a, a few times. Uh, the Carrier Dome. Mikhail is like top, probably top five in America for basketball. You know, for football, the pack has a lot of very, a lot of beautiful settings. Like Folsom Field is, is you can touch the Rockies, like right, right behind one of the stands there. But there's something about the Coliseum in LA. I didn't expect it to be what it was. It's, it's historic. I mean, it's awesome. The, the, the history there with the Olympics the great football history. I think it's cool that it's grass. I know that's like, I think it's just kind of a throwback. Like you're going a little bit back in time, but it's updated and renovated. I think the Coliseum special, they light the torch before the fourth quarter. Like that is the Olympic torch. That's the one, like it's, it's awesome. So I think the Coliseum is pretty special. Um, Martin stadium is, is awesome, especially like on those, fall days where it's like an afternoon when the sun starts to dip. Now I can see the wheat fields. I don't know if a lot of the fans can, but the setting is, is really special. It's like being in a painting. It's like you're, you're in like a Norman Rockwell painting, like of Americana, you know, it's just awesome. Um, it and Autzen and then you know, the Husky stadium setting is gorgeous. It is. I, I know they're wrong. I'm not, probably not supposed to say that. <laughs> well, the, the, the first big time college football game I ever went to was Notre Dame at uh, UW at Husky nice. Stadium when, when their basketball program was recruiting me. And you're right. That, that's a great setting. Uh, that's to cool. Win a college football game. But, you know, I can hear the passion in your voice uh, for the Cougars. In just you know seven or eight years now, you work in there and being an integral part of people knowing and following the Cougars. But when you look at the outlook for the football team, and unfortunately, you know, well, we won't get into it today. But a lot of attention has been placed on on another uh, topic. Um, what is your outlook for the football team this season? All right, so the Cougar football currently. 
is a, a really good comp, a really good comp for the pack is the ACC. And the pack's actually the ACC without the SEC on top. Very, very similar. And I worked a lot in the old Big East, became the ACC and the ACC. And, and they're really good comparisons. The PAC lacks the small private schools that the ACC has, BC, Duke, Wake Forest. They're odd ducks because they're really small schools with huge – it'd be like if the Zags still played football and had all this conference money. Now, there's nothing like Gonzaga. There's absolutely no comp for what they've done. It's like the greatest story in American sports history, honestly. So what they've done is just incredible. So there's no comp for that. But the PAC and Washington State are a lot like Virginia Tech. They're really good comparisons. Blacksburg and Pullman are super similar. Blacksburg's harder to get to. And the, the, high, the quality of the road is better. <laughs> the, the 195 is harder than the other highways around there. So like Winston-Salem's two hours south. DC's five hours east. But they're very similar. The basketball programs are actually very similar. Um, Iowa State. I, I haven't been to Iowa State. I haven't been to Kansas State. But those kind of land-grant ag schools. But Virginia Tech. Now, the other one that I sound crazy saying that is a lot like Washington State is Clemson. Clemson's a lot like Clemson, South Carolina is a lot like Pullman, hard to get to, really, really small. And before Dabo Swinney, if you look at Clemson's history, very similar to Washington State, super comparable. In fact, the Leach years feel a lot like the Bowden years right before Dabo Swinney. Clemson reinvested in facilities. They built some new buildings and they they got the right coach. It was an internal hire and clearly it's really worked out. So the the difference with Washington State and and like Virginia Tech, well, maybe not Virginia Tech, but Clemson is there was this weird 10-year dip that happened at a really important time that USC or Alabama, they feel like it'd be impossible, probably probably unlikely. But Florida State's going through it right now. The, the, with, I don't know Coach Wolf, and I don't really blame him. I think it takes a full program. He didn't have resources that exist now at Washington State. The, the, the uh, press box was a biohazard before the year started because the birds were crapping in it. before. Like you weren't legally allowed to do a game there. So you've spent $160 million. You have all this new stuff and more to come. I mean, they're going to go for the indoor practice facility. They're going for an academic building, I think. They've talked about that. Like, there's all kinds of stuff that they're going to try to do. If they do all that and you get the right coach and you – you the trajectory – I don't think Coug fans realize how high the ceiling is. Like, I think it'll blow their minds. Oh, I don't – Bill Moose and Pat Chun, for real, want to win a national championship in football. And I know that sounds banana land, but that's what the Ducks were. Like Oregon wasn't until like Phil Knight. Like if you look back, Rich Brooks Field and Austin Stadium like wasn't what it is now. It's become that. Chip Kelly, they got the right coach. They did the right investment. That's possible. I'm, t- I'm telling you like Syracuse right now, no chance. It's not going to happen. They did it. In 1987, Syracuse football won a national title. Seven years after they built the Carrier Dome. So Art Monk's senior year, they didn't play a home game because they're building this building. Seven years later, Rob Conrad wins a national title, shared Natty, but a national title series. Like these things happen. I, I think that 
conference realignment, conference expansion will have they, the kooks to some degree can't control that. Seems like it's going to really break their way. But basically, with regard to how they're going to be this year, they've got a good chance to compete for a bowl. In the future, with all like you alluded to the distractions off field right now, wherever this stuff lands, you, you know, you've got to get the program in a place. Everybody would agree the program needs to be in a place that's settled, focusing on football. However, that happens. If you do that and you invest in the right facilities, your trajectory is incredible. Right now, you're looking at Virginia Tech, a little bit of NC State, although that's in Raleigh. But um, that that's those are really good comps, really good program pops. The Cougs really shouldn't ever bottom out with with their facilities and resources now, and, and the the ceiling's really really high. Wow, I would I would never have uh, known even being on campus a lot for Pac-12 basketball games uh, that the infrastructure uh, and the support is there to really get to the next level. So more of a football thing, and Kyle Smith would say that it's definitely been a football emphasis. But um, you know, next time you're down, we should we should coordinate. I'll, I'll give you a tour of the whole football thing, and I'll show you the plans for the where they, what they want to do with practice. And um, they've actually done it a little bit with baseball. They um, different, different beast, you know, that they spent $10 million on a building. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's right across from Beasley because of the COVID and everything, but they, they just built it. Um, you know, the Cougs used to be the class of the pack North and North pack back in the day in baseball, John Olrood, Aaron Seeley. And I, I didn't know that until I got out here, but um, they'd love to, to have Marco Gonzalez be a Coug instead of a, instead of a Zag, that kind of thing and um, get back to that. Well, let's, let's finish up real quick on, on uh, Cougar basketball. I think Kyle Smith has done a tremendous job in a short amount of time. Uh, he's found some undervalued recruits that want to come to Pullman. Uh, defensively, they were, were one of the best teams in the PAC 12, if not the best last year defensively. Um, what are you expecting and what are you hoping to see this upcoming season? I think it could be a big year, Dan. I think it, I, I do. I think it could be, it could be the best Coug team since, um, since Tony Bennett to a degree, that's a low bar and former Cougs would say that, you know, it hasn't been where they want it to be, but I think that there have been three peaks of Coug basketball. There was what Kelvin Sampson did after his eighth year when they danced in 94, I think. There was what Raveling did with Elo and then three years prior to that with Don Collins. And then there's what Tony Bennett did most recently. And he went the deepest in the dance. Although I think the dance wasn't even fully expanded yet when some of those other, it was kind of not what it is right now. So those are the three peaks, you know, this feels talent wise akin to those eras, you know, when, when, um, when it was Samson, it was Mark Hendrickson and then Benny Seltzer and you had pros or fringe pros. And then, you know, Tony Bennett did it again. You, you, you do need those guys to compete in the pack. Feels like they're here now. I, I, I haven't seen Muhammad Gay yet, but apparently he really looks the part big recruit reclassified. I think UCLA wanted him and it, you know, I, he was a really good player. And then F.A. Abagidi looks like a phenomenal talent. He is a phenomenal talent. Deshaun Jackson was a highly sought after recruit, big man. 
So there are big guys here. Uh, I mean, that like front court guys, that's kind of been, you know, J- Jeff Pollard was a super undersized five. I mean, he, he told, he told me that he's like, I'm trying to guard TJ leaf. I'm three inches shorter, you know? Um, so I think they could dance. I think they'll compete for that. You never really know how the year's going to go. Whether an NIT would be a big step. Heck, they haven't even been to CBI lately. So let's, you know, let's make expectations reasonable. But I think every Coug last year looked at what Oregon State did and thought, boy, that could have been the Cougs with Ellaby and Bonton and Pollard had the COVID not wiped out the the tournament because the Cougs were playing so well. So. Kyle's done a great job. Phenomenal coach. You, you alluded to like not being sure about do the Coug, are the Cougs like resourcing basketball that way? They they aren't like football. Kyle will be the first to tell you that. But he actually likes the lower bowl of Beasley. You know, we've talked about like what the program is looking at. The, the practice facilities, basically like the facilities for basketball are 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 fine. You know, they're they're sufficient, I think is a good way to put it. They're not the best in the pack. They're not the worst in the pack. There are other schools that have lesser facilities. Um, and then they're, uh, you know, the, Beasley's too big. It's, it's, it's been too big since it predated Spokane Arena and was pulling like Bon Jovi concerts before Spokane Arena existed for the region. And um, so they're really focused on that lower bowl. You know, it seats six, 7,000. And it's uh, Kyle likes it. I don't think he loves it, but I think he likes it. And I think when the lower bowl is full, the atmosphere's. The atmosphere is fun. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to uh, calling games again down there this year and seeing the continued growth. So, but uh, Matt, I appreciate you joining, and, and I will finish on this. And I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I live in Eastern Washington. I'm a Zag. I will say this probably one time and one time only a year, and I'll do it for you today. Is uh, go Cougs? Yes, I love it. Let's re- we need to clip that out and, and send it out. I love it. Thanks, Dan. This is super fun. I, I appreciate the invite, and uh, I I hope it was fun for listeners. And um, I, I I do love it out here. It's been it's been great. So I'm excited to get you down there. We'll get we'll do we should do a full tour. It's been it's been too long to to not coordinate that when you're down there. Awesome. Thanks again. Take care and we'll connect soon. All right. You too. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.